Marginalized groups exist in every community. Their stories often get swept under the rug, forgotten, or minimalized. By sharing these stories, we hope to cultivate compassion and equip the local church to better care for all people. This is Life Stories. I have had abortion and I have lost a baby. So, you know, it's like... There's a lot of grief that comes with parenting, huh? It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of joy. Wonderful. A lot of really good joy. Adorable times. Yes. Rememories. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. This season on Life Stories, we are focusing in on one specific area of Life Task Force ministry. Members of the Life Task Force support a local women's clinic who help moms in crisis. With the overturning of Roe versus Wade, this year has once again brought the problem of abortion to the forefront of the American psyche. It raises many questions in hard conversations, often pitting people against each other. One social media movement encourages women to shout their abortion, desiring to normalize women's experiences. With nearly one million abortions performed each year, there are few people who have not been affected by abortion in some way. Life stories exist to tell stories about marginalized people groups in hopes that it will stir up compassion and help equip the local church to better love those around them. This season, we will share stories of abortions, not those shouted, but those whispered, in prayer, in tears, or never spoken at all. The men and women in these stories have been deeply affected by abortion, whether by personal experience or through someone they love. What we've learned is that abortion is not an individual choice that leaves no ripple effects, but leaves a wide wake behind it. It stirs up pain in everyone and everything that it touches. We're not offering answers to the problem, only true stories shared in faith, in tears, in the hope that someone who is listening, who has suffered silently, will hear that they are not alone. I am happy all the time. I'm always smiling. I'm positive. I don't be negative because I don't like that negative side. This is precious. I have two kids and both of them bring me so much joy and happiness. Precious grew up being taught by her mom and grandmother about the Lord. It makes me think of Timothy in the Bible, being raised by God-fearing women who taught him the scriptures. Precious serves as a greeter at Church at the Cross in Grapevine, Texas, and her smile is what every person walking through the door gets to see each week. She hands out hugs, and she remembers everybody's names. She asks about your kids. She just knows people and cares about them. Well, I grew up in church. My grandma, my mom and them, we always went to church. That was one thing we had to do. We had to get up in the morning, get dressed our Sunday, have on our dress. We had to go sit on the couch so we couldn't get messed up. My grandma, she used to be, what is, um, back in the day, they used to call them a Ursha. Mm -hmm. Now we call it a greeter, but she was a Ursha. She dressed with her white gloves and her white dress. And my mom done the same thing. And then we talk in church, she come stand by us and knock on us 
Mm-mm, we can't do that. We went to, we grew up in church every Sunday and with the guitar and the bass band and it was it was wonderful. Easter Sundays we had to do scriptures and remember the scriptures and I just thought that that was just amazing and I loved it. At an early age, she came to know God in a very personal way. Our family had drug situations and I saw a lot going on and I was just praying to God like, Lord, I just pray for my family who do drugs. I don't want to be like them, Lord. How can I help them in every which way? And it's like God just started working on me. It's like he would talk to me. He was like, you know, I remember when I went out of town one Sunday, and I think I was like 11 years old, and the spirit just came over me, and it was just like I just started crying, and I couldn't stop crying. And the spirit just really was just working. And my auntie say, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Stop that crying. But it was the spirit of the Lord, and I couldn't stop crying. And my auntie at that time, her name was Janice. She couldn't understand why I was crying, but I understood it. He was just working on me, and I was just so filled with the spirit. It was just wonderful. It was like, it was like a, a feeling that it was relief of happiness. Like God said, it's time for you to do my work. And it was just time. In 10th grade, Precious suffered an accident where she lost her left eye. Even in this tragedy, she relied firmly on the Lord, knowing that God had a purpose for her life and that nothing could stop him. In the 10th grade, I was playing baseball and I was in gospel and track, I remember. And um, we just had got finished with, got, I just got finished with ROTC and I had to go to um, baseball practice. And they used to always push us, you gotta keep pushing. Well, I'm on my way to practice and we practicing and we ran out of softballs. And so I told him we practicing, we throwing it backwards and forth, and I told him to hold on. He threw it, boom, and it cracked my uh, left side, and it cracked and it crumbled it. So I couldn't see at all. And the only thing they could do is call my brother James and rush me home to my mom, and my mom rushed me to Harris Methodist Hospital. There, that's when they called in a really godly special, um, let me remember his name, Dan Willis. He was a godly person and it was late at night time and he said, I'll take her. It was, he's like, I'll take her. He's, nobody else would take her, he said, I'll take her. And he was my doctor up until three years ago, and he was 80 years old, still in practice. We was all there and they was like, we're gonna have to make a decision, either keep your sight or risk losing your right sight to have surgery. 
And it was like God was telling them, hey, God was talking to me. He was like, I got something in store for you. They can take it. Mm -hmm. And before my mom or my godmother made a decision, I told the doctor, I said, you can take it. I don't need it. I said, God got something in store for me. And my mom, it was just my mom and my godmother broke down and started crying. And I was like, why are y'all crying? I said, this is what God wanted. I said, because he got me, he got something in store for me. He got, he got work for me to do. And ever since then, I just saw everything totally different because when I'm driving down the road or doing anything, God gave me signs. It could be on the bulletin board. It could be little bitty signs like on a picture or anything. And he could just be talking to me. Or I can come in one Sunday and pastor J.R. can be preaching. I swear, Pastor J.R. preaching about me. I'm like, yes, sir. You know, okay, Lord, Pastor J.R. talking to me right now. You know, so when I made that decision, I knew God had something in store for me. And ever since then, he just, I've just been doing his work. So it's like, I have had, um, I have got hit by a car. I have got hit by a drunk driver. I have been drugged two blocks up the street and I got to walk in from there. And God still have been doing his work and I still have been doing his work. And he said, I'm still not done with you. After high school, Precious found out she was pregnant with her first child. Her boyfriend wanted to get married, so at 19, she married and had her first baby. I was at home by myself, and I was eating a bowl of Cheerios, I remember. I was always praying to God about the baby and all of that, and I started having, I started, you know, I was feeling kind of weird, but I didn't think nothing of it. So I'm eating a bowl of Cheerios, and I always had morning sickness. You know, I got up, I went to the bathroom. I felt something round. I was like, whoa, this ain't right. So I got up and I sucked it back up. I went and called my midwife. And I said, something's not right. I said, it's something round coming out of me. She would say, oh, it could be a cyst or it could be something else. She said, get dressed and come on. So. After that, I hung up the phone with her. I started having pains, like some pains that I ain't never had. I never knew what contraction pains was. None of that, they started coming harder and harder. I was like, okay, Lord, let me just make it to the shower. Let me take a shower and all of that. So I took a shower. The pains was coming so frequently. I was like, Lord, I can't. I can't, this pain is out of control. I got dressed. I made it to the hospital and I was, I took a cow there. And the cow said, Dad, he said, you need any help? I said, no, sir, I'm good. I walked into the hospital. I remember what is her name? Jennifer, Miss Jennifer. Her name was Miss Jennifer. She was my midwife. I remember when I was, um, 
That's when I was pregnant with my first baby. She came to the house and she took my pregnancy test and she the one told me I was pregnant. And I thought that that was wonderful. She took it out of her time to come to the house to give me a pregnancy test. I thought that that was so sweet. And um, went, went into the hospital. Um, she put me in a little room. She checked me. She said, you in labor. You about to have this baby. How far along were you? I was um, 28 weeks. Wow. So that's how I knew that I couldn't have babies full term, that I had to have a seclage each time I get pregnant. And so they took me back there and they put me up with an IV. And I was like, I was crying and I was like, I can't have this baby right now. It was like the baby coming, you know, it could be risks of the lungs not available. And, you know, and I still have the little bag of my baby with the pictures and everything. I still have that memory. I still have the obituaries. Um, my baby is born in Cedar Hill, Texas, in Dallas. When we was um, in the hospital, they said, Miss Brandon, you can't push. I said, I got to push. He's coming. Before I know, he was breech. He was breech, and my cervix locked on his neck. And so when my cervix locked on his neck, I was crying. They said, you're going to have to push, or we're going to have to pull your baby body from his head. That was the most worst thing that a doctor can tell you about your baby. So I'm pushing, and he finally came out. And he looked just like his dad. Had the, the same muscles, everything. He was dark-skinned. And you know, that's how they look red and dark-skinned. And so, and then it's like he was still breathing. I was like, he's still alive. Y'all can save him. I cried. I said, y'all can save him. They like, we're going to let you know that he can take his last breath and repair you for what's going to happen just to know that he took his last breath, that that done something to me. That deep down inside hurts when you lose a child. It, it really truly do. People think that they understand when you lose a child, they really don't. Because it really truly hurts. And just to see him just breathing and then he took his last breath and then they standing around saying, now Miss Brandon, you're gonna have to get your baby up. And they trying to pull, they they trying to pull your baby out of your arm and they got to give you something to, to relax because for them to get the baby out of your arm, that's the most hurtful thing ever. No mother should go through that. No mother. And then we went through that week. We had to bury our son. Within the next year, Precious conceived and carried their second child to full term. When her second child was around four years old, she and her husband got divorced. And she began seeing another man. She found out she was pregnant by him 
and was devastated. She was a single mother, pregnant by a man who was abusing her. She began experiencing some severe pain and learned that she also had serious medical implications for carrying this baby. She was terrified and she felt very alone. She went to a friend for support, and she talks about praying during this time, calling out to God, but feeling completely hopeless, like there was no other choice but to have an abortion. When I um, did, it was by somebody else. It wasn't by my baby daddy. It was by um, my youngest baby daddy. He wasn't no good dad. He used to, you know, try to fight me, beat on me, and I, I, I just couldn't have that. I was like, it was like, all the joy that I had, people saw all the joy I had, he was just taking it out of me. So I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't bring this child in this world. I can't. How I really truly figured out that I was pregnant, I went out of town with my brother to El Paso. And I was in pain and I couldn't sit down right. And I was like, what's going on? So, and I couldn't get in the bed right. I couldn't sit in the tub right. It was like agony pain. I was like, okay, Lord. I came back. Uh, when I came back into town, I went and picked up my friend and she said, come get her. Her name is Keisha. She stood by my side with it. I had took some tests. I was like, oh, these tests, these are ovulation tests. I'm thinking like, these ain't it. So I went to the hospital and they told me I was pregnant. They said, congratulations, Miss Brandon, you pregnant. And I found out and I was like, Lord, I'm a single parent and I'm doing it by myself. I was like, Lord, what am I gonna do? You know, I was like, I cried and my friends say, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. And I said, it could be, I said, I'm gonna pray about it. And I said, it can't be all right because I say, I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I said, it's already hard to get transportation. People are already judging you. People don't want to give you a ride nowhere. Then I started stressing and then um, I went and they told me I was on the verge of having a stroke. So I said, that well, my biggest option is to have an abortion. And so I was like, Lord, I know this is not the right decision, Lord. This is not the right decision. It's not. I said, but I'm on the verge of having a stroke. So then I went to the abortion place and I'm looking at the people, boy scouting out there and how they break the babies up. And, you know, I turned back around. I turned back around and I was like, I can't do this. My friend said, yes, you can, you can. I went in, they told me, they turned me back around cause they told me I was on the verge of having a stroke. Your blood pressure too high. So then I had to leave. I had to set another appointment the next time. So I went back home. I could barely move. My friend stayed there. Keisha stayed by my side the whole time. I was taking medicine. I was going to sleep. I was like, Lord, you got to help me get my blood pressure down, Lord, because I can't do it without you, Lord. I can't, Lord. I was crying. I was sleeping. My friend said, you're going to have to stop crying. You're just making it worse on your blood pressure. 
So then I said, okay, Lord, I'm gonna have to listen to you. I'm gonna have to stop this crying. The devil is trying to work on me and I can't let him work. So then I got to praying, I got to getting up, I got to drinking water, I got to not crying. I started feeling happy, feeling rejoiced. I said, Lord, I love you, Lord, and I thank you, Lord. So then I got to getting up and the pain started leaving me, that extra pain that I was having that I couldn't sit down. I was walking around with a T-shirt on, T-shirt and pennies on. I was like, Lord, and I still had to take care of my baby. I still had to keep getting up cleaning and cooking, and I stayed in the bed for about a week. And so now I finally called them back to make the appointment. They said, you can come back in. I said, Lord, I gotta go through this boy scouting again. I said, Lord, I don't think I can have the strength to just see how they just break the babies up and all of that, Lord. I said, just Lord, please give me strength to go back in this abortion place. I go back in there, they still out there boy scouting just to see how they just break the baby up at six months and then the bigger they get, how they break it up, it just broke me down. So I'm, I started back crying and I said, God, I gotta be strong going into this place. I'm looking around, they, they try to make you more comfortable than what you need to be. And I was like, Lord, am I doing the right thing? So then they take me back in this room and they got all of this stuff set up. I'm nervous now at this time. I'm just, I'm so, I'm, I'm so nervous right now. So then after I'm being so nervous, it's like they come in, they tell you to lay down on the bed, they give you an IV. They tell you, this is what's gonna happen. This is gonna be a suction, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be that. And I was like, Lord. Now I'm just, I'm just, in my mind, I'm just depressed right now because I figure like the devil just started working on me in there. So then they lay me down on the bed. They say it's time and then everything, it's like a big suction, pain, that quick. Then they give you um, birth control. As soon as you leave out, they take you, they, they tell you to get dressed. They very nice. Do you have a son old? They, they put you in a little room by yourself. It's cold in the room. A man doctor to come in, a woman doctor to come in. At this time, you don't know what's going through your head. Everything going through your head. Why did, why did I do this, you know? God wouldn't have wanted this, you know? So I went through with it. I think I stayed depressed for a minute because the most thing about it, I lost a child, and that's just like you losing another child. Let's take a pause right quick. And when I lost my child, it was like my husband went a week without a shower, without eating. He and I stayed in the room, and I, I cried and. 
over and then we had to go and bury a child and it was it was the hardest, most hardest thing just to bury a child. And then me going back to this abortion, it really did take a lot out of me with this abortion. It took truly a lot out of me. It took all I had out of me and just to have this abortion. And nobody knew but my friend. And then when I finally got comfortable, I told the person I had an abortion. And then I look at my friends having five kids, you know. And so me going back to the abortion, it was like they put me in a little room. They like, what, you, what kind of birth control you want? I was like, I'll take the birth control patch. And so over time, I used to tell his dad, oh, that's a, this is a cigarette patch. Until one day he saw it on the TV and he snatched it off me. He said, this is a birth control patch. And so he used to try to fight me, you know, over again and again and again. And then it's where I used to ask God, God, did I do the right thing? Because it's women I heard that can't have kids. I used to feel so bad. I was like, Lord, it's women I heard. And I, I was like that for over years and years. I asked God for forgiveness for years. Every day I cried and I asked God for forgiveness because I could have gave the baby up for adoption to a family, but it's some families out there that you can give your kids up for adoption and still not be good for the kids and treat them bad. They can treat them so, they can treat them so bad and abuse the kids and you be thinking like, did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? You know, so, I ask God for forgiveness. I'm like, God, if you give me a second chance, you know, because there's women out there that can't have kids, if you give me a second chance, Lord, I promise you I won't do it again. I promise you, Lord. I will bear your angel as long as you let me. And I and I and it's like I, I just kept asking him, you know, Lord, whenever it's your time for me to bear, I will. And it's just like, when I got out of that abusive relationship, that's when I went to Michael friend's house and I said, I got a Tinkerbell and I brought the pregnancy tests up there. That's when I found out I was pregnant with Jaheen again. And I said, oh Lord, I know this ain't true. This ain't. And I broke down in the bathroom and I had to get myself together. And I said, Lord, I'm pregnant. And that was over like years. And I was like, Lord, I'm pregnant. What am I gonna do? I was like, oh Lord, I got to just pray. And I was like, oh Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna take care of this child, but I'm gonna do it. I'm like, it's gonna be hard on me, but I'm gonna do it. And it's a scene like, God got to opening up doors. I don't know how, it was like churches, like one of my friends, she called the church and they was 
bringing meals on the wheel, and they was bringing gifts for the baby, and the baby wasn't even here yet. The baby wasn't here yet, and then it was like um, George Pregnancy Center. I went there for the son and they asked me was I was gonna get a baby up for adoption. And I was like, no, I'm gonna keep it. I remember I went to preg Pregnancy Choice again and they had brought the baby and it was like, they opened up doors to bring the baby. And I was like, Lord, I didn't know how I was gonna get pampers. I didn't know how I was gonna get clothes. I'm on a fixed income. How am I gonna do this? How? I was like, Lord, this is your will. I pray upon whatever you got going on, Lord, to guide me through this because it was plenty of nights I left it on the church station, just praying to God, looking at his word every night, different nights, church nights where I couldn't sleep at nighttime and I had it on the gospel channel and I was just looking at it every night. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna take care of another child. I don't know how I'm gonna get this stuff for this child. How am I gonna do it? And it's like, he just started opening up doors. It's like he was just hearing my cries out. And he was just truly hearing me. And it was like churches was bringing it. It was like I was getting handy-downs. God just see me through it. And then I said, Lord, I will make it easy each and every day for my babies. You know, and that's what I done. I say that they are my miracle babies. Supported by the church, she continued to heal. And she started sharing her story first with a family member who'd also been through a similar situation and was equally heartbroken. Today, she looks at her grandbaby and with happy tears, she sees the gift that adoption can offer. And she celebrates her miracle babies, she calls them. And she knows that one day she will get to meet her other two children. I used to sit and tell myself, Grandma, I know you're up there rocking my babies. <laughs> I used to always tell her that, and I know she was up there rocking them. It would be a joy. I said, if I ever had one wish, I'd walk through them Golden Gates to see my mom and my babies and my grandma. How do you think God sees you when he looks at you? He sees me as a walking testimony. That's how he sees me because I have been through so much. And I am still walking in his eyesight. Like I'm walking with one sight, he got me walking. And I am still walking each and every day. Don't see me as nobody else but precious. The name that God gave me, that's in the Bible too. When I was coming up and I would go to church and I was going through a lot in my life. And um, I had um, friends that I thought that was my friends and they wasn't my friends. And then I was going to, I remember one day I had to be at church I had cooked and I 
had asked my goddaddy if something went wrong with the car, and I asked him to take me to church, and he fussed the whole time. And tears ran down my eyes the whole time. And I cried and cried and cried, and I said, Lord, I just want a church that a check on me when I'm not, when I'm not there, Lord, just guide me. And I had got into some trouble. Um, I got into some trouble, and Mr. Blake them had called Pastor P and all of them, and they had got everybody in the truck and the posse, and they came and helped. <laughs> and I just said, Lord, I couldn't ask for nothing else, Lord. I said, if you said it's a prayer mother out there, I'm one of them. And I got to be one of them. I cannot be one of the mothers to not sit down and pray because I went through a lot. And I remember when Miss Kendra told me, she said, come visit the church. And ever since I came to visit, I stayed. And I, I never left. I may not didn't have a pot to piss in, but I never left. And I, I try every week to try to pay my tithes. I may not don't have a lot, but I try to pay my tithes and I try to be at church. Sometimes the pastor be bleary because I lost my glasses, but I'm still here. Or if I'm not feeling so good, I'm going to watch him on TV. But I'm here. And that's what truly counts. And I love the work that I do in the church house. I just don't come just to come because, you know, they the old says say some people come to church and I have saw it come to church on Easter, on this, Lord. I want to come to church every Sunday. I want to come to church when I ain't feeling good. I want to come to church when I'm in the hospital, if I can. If they can wheel me in the, in the bed, I come. That's what counts. The church can never underestimate the power it has to help end abortion through the love and support of community. God designed the church to function as a family, and I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better design for helping women and men who are in impossible situations. As you listen to these stories, we hope you will prayerfully consider what it looks like for you to come alongside women, the bearers of image bearers, who like Hagar in the Bible, who was pregnant with a child she did not ask for, abused and alone only needed to be seen. And as you listen to Precious's story, you can tell that she feels seen and she loves the church and she sees her work and their support as life-giving. If you or someone you know is in an abusive situation, in crisis for whatever reason, or just needs help or someone to see them, you can go to churchatthecross.com slash womens-care to get connected with people who care. Life Stories is a production of the Life Task Force at Church at the Cross. For more information, go to churchatthecross.com.